You know, sometimes good things just don't last. I was thinking of this recently when I got my first glimpse this year of Easter candy. See, my my parents already gave the kids their Easter baskets, and so I don't know about you for the young families out there, but Easter candy is an epidemic in the Berkebean house. My kids love Easter candy. They love the, the eggs, the little eggs that have the jelly beans. They love uh, the chocolate-covered bunnies. They especially love, I don't have them in here right now, but, but marshmallow peeps. You guys all familiar with marshmallow peeps? Basically, it's melted sugar covered in sugar. And my kids love those. They love this stuff. They look forward to, to it every year. You know, it, we try to explain to them the meaning of Easter, but they're little kids. So what they're always most excited about is the candy. They love the candy. Are, are you my child? No? Okay. I thought it might be. Well-timed, kid. Good job. No, Easter candy, it's an epidemic. And as, as their parents, you know, we, we try to find a way to, to help the situation by giving an, a, a healthy alternative. Now, I, I don't usually do this. I, I leave the, the, the making of the baskets to my wife. She's just far better than this. So she tries to find healthy alternatives to the Easter candy. You know, because between the Easter bunny and grandparents, the kids are loaded with candy. So she tries to come up with healthy alternatives. I don't know what she, I mean, maybe she probably puts kale in there or brown rice. I don't know what kids like. Either way. She makes it healthy, but the kids, they don't want it. They don't want the healthy alternative. They just want the candy, as you'd expect. And because we love our children, and because we we don't want our children in a a sugar-induced coma, like every responsible parent, what we do is we take the Easter basket after Easter, actually, in fact, pretty much right as soon as they get it, and we put it in the cupboard on a very high shelf, And what we do is we disperse rations to our children each day so they can just have a little bit because if we don't, they will gorge themselves and they will be unconscious very soon. And so we disperse these rations to our children, a couple pieces here, a couple pieces there, because they have so much candy, uh, typically what happens is by about August, right? You're still looking at the, the candy in the cupboard. And by this point, the jelly beans, they're not so chewy anymore. The chocolate-covered bunnies are literally growing fur at this point. It's disgusting. The marshmallow peeps, they have turned into a sanding block you can use on drywall. It is just not very good by this point. And so what we do is we, we wait until it's nighttime when no kids are awake, right? And we take the baskets and we tiptoe to the trash and we dump out the Easter candy that remains and we hope our kids don't know. This is what we do. Those kids are sad about that, I know. <laughs> you got, have you read my sermon, you and you? No? Okay. It's perfect. Now, this is a pattern we repeat year after year. And whether my kids like it or not, it's true. Because sometimes, good things just don't last. Now, as we all know, Easter is obviously not supposed to be about the candy. 
Easter is all about the resurrection from the dead. That's why we're here this morning. That's why we're, we're gathered together. Our focus this morning is going to be on the resurrection. And so before I jump into the, the message this morning, let's just turn to the Lord in prayer, shall we? Let's pray together. Father, I thank you this morning for the truth of the resurrection. Father, we are here this morning because, Father, we are remembering the fact that your son, Jesus Christ, is the real meaning of Easter. He rose from the grave in victory. And this morning, as I prepare to speak, and Father, as I am flawed and frail, Father, I pray that you would speak through me your word, Father. We know that your word is that which endures, that your word, you've said, will accomplish what you desire and achieve the purpose for which you sent it. And so this morning, I pray that you would open eyes and, Father, you'd reveal truth to hearts this morning, the truth of the gospel. And so we pray and ask that your spirit would be at work in this place this morning. Speak to us through your word, Father, we pray. In the precious name of your son, Jesus Christ, we pray all these things. Amen. Now, as I mentioned, the true meaning of Easter is actually all about life after death. The meaning of Easter is all about the truth of the resurrection. This is why we celebrate Easter today. And if you've ever taken time to study through the scriptures and you really dive in there, you'll notice something interesting because this, this concept of life after death, this concept of the resurrection, early on in the history of the Bible, this was something that, that a lot of people were kind of unclear about. They didn't quite understand what was supposed to happen after death pretty early on. You see, early on in biblical history, this whole concept of the resurrection, of life after death, it was fuzzy for God's people. In fact, if you read the, the first book probably ever written in the Bible, it's the book of Job. I know most people would think it would be Genesis because it's the beginnings. And that uh, book was actually written later on to describe the beginning of history, but Genesis actually wasn't probably the first book written. It was probably the book of Job. And so when you read the book of Job, you actually get a window into this mindset early on of, of God's people and, and what they thought and, and what they specifically thought about life after death. And if you read the book of Job, you get to a point where you can see that Job is scratching his head. He is confused. He doesn't quite understand what happens after you die. And so he actually asks a question in Job chapter 14. He asks this, if a man dies, shall he live again? This is a profound question. If a man dies, shall he live again? You see, this is important for God's people, especially because death is scary. Doesn't matter who you are. Death is a scary thing, especially if you don't know what happens after death. And so for God's people early on, this is a nagging question. What happens when you die? If a man dies, shall he live again? And if there's no such thing as life after death, if there's no such thing as a resurrection from the dead, I want you to know this morning that life itself is pretty hopeless. And life soon becomes pretty meaningless. If there's no hope after death, then what's the point? So this is a nagging question that God's people were asking. 
And in the midst of uncertainty, God was gracious with his people, and he began to reveal to them this incredible truth that there is such a thing as life after death. There is such a thing as resurrection. And what I want to do this morning is I want to lay out for you some of the ways that God graciously revealed to his people this truth of the resurrection. So I'm going to give you some examples this morning. We're going to start in the Old Testament, and in the book of First Kings, there's this dude who's named Elijah. Elijah is a prophet, which means that he speaks God's message to the people. And often God would use prophets to do some incredible work in the land of Israel and in the surrounding nations. And Elijah was a classic example of this. There are all sorts of cool miracles and amazing stories through the life of Elijah. Several times in his story, he calls fire down from heaven. At one point, he parts the Jordan River. Uh, There's a point where birds, ravens come and they start feeding him when he's hungry. God sends ravens. And there's also a point where God uh, is desiring to stop the rain. And so Elijah prays before the Lord, and he says, Lord, stop the rain. And for three and a half years, it doesn't rain in the land. Now, I know we're in Frankenmuth, and so we're surrounded by farm country. For those of you who are farmers, you know what happens if it doesn't rain for three and a half years. No food. It's famine in the land. And so the people were starving to death. And in this story, during this time, there was a woman, a widow, and she was out gathering sticks. And she meets Elijah, and he's asking her what she's doing. And he soon discovers she's gathering sticks to make a fire so she can eat one last meal with her child, and they can die. And so Elijah speaks with her, and God works miracles, and he provides a way for them to all eat, and he nourishes and sustains them through the, the famine. And so it's an amazing story of God's work. But then randomly, right after that, the story continues, and we find out this widow's son dies. Now, For those of you who've experienced the death of a child, maybe you're going through that. I can't imagine how much pain you might have felt or be feeling But I'm sure that you can identify with this woman because she is a widow. She's already lost her husband, and now her only child is dead, and she is devastated. And as she's mourning and grieving the loss of this child, this beloved child, we see Elijah. He takes the body of the boy, And he prays before the Lord, and this is what he asks God in the midst of her grief. Oh, Lord, my God, let this child's life come into him again. And immediately, the very next verse, it says this. And the Lord listened to the voice of Elijah, and the life of the child came into him again, and he revived. Awesome. This is the first example we see in the Bible of someone who's dead, who comes back to life, who's raised from the grave. Incredible story. God is revealing to his people progressively that there is hope in death, that there is such a thing as the resurrection. And so this is the first example in the Bible of this. And we see it a couple more times in the Old Testament after this story. But I want to move on to the New Testament. I want to talk about a story from the New Testament. Another example. Many of you may know the story of Jesus and Lazarus, right? They were friends, and Lazarus became ill, and Jesus was away from him, and he had two sisters. Lazarus had two sisters, Mary and Martha, and they called for Jesus to come because they didn't want Lazarus to die, but it says that Jesus delayed in coming. And during the time where they were separated, it, it, 
It came to a point where Lazarus died of his illness. And once he died, they took his body and they embalmed it and they placed it in a tomb. That was the way they would normally do death and burial. And so Jesus shows up to the gravesite four days later. And he's consoling Mary and Martha and he's talking with them. And all of a sudden Jesus says, hey, roll that stone away. And they're like, uh, Jesus, he's been dead for four days. It's going to smell really bad. We don't want to do that. And he says, no, roll the stone away. And as soon as that stone is rolled away, Jesus prays and says this, Lazarus, come out. And what do we see in the next verse? The man who had died came out. I mean, how incredible is this? This man was dead. He was embalmed, placed in a tomb for four days, and then he's risen from the dead. Awesome. So we see in the story of Elijah raising the widow's son and Jesus raising Lazarus that God is revealing to his people that there is hope after death, that there is such a thing as a resurrection from the dead. I got one more example. It's maybe one of my favorite examples, uh, favorite stories, maybe almost in the entire Bible. Uh, This is a story of a guy, Paul, the Apostle Paul, who wrote a lot of the New Testament. In the book of Acts, he's in a city called Troas and he's preaching. Now, uh, for those of you who've done any preaching, sometimes preachers tend to be a little long-winded, right? You who are here normally, you know sometimes I, I go on a little too much, right? I tend to ramble. Preachers sometimes do this. And it says that Paul was in such a, a, a mode of, of going on and on and on that it became midnight, and yet he was still going. But he's preaching for a long time. And in Acts chapter 20, verse 9, it's crazy, but hear this story. It says this. And a young man named Eutychus, sitting at the window, sank into a deep sleep as Paul talked still longer. And being overcome by sleep, he fell down from the third story and was taken up as dead. I mean, that's bad, right? uh, Let me just say, let me pause for a second. Pastors, preachers love this story. I got to say it. We love this story. I'm not going to lie to you today. If you're normally here and you're someone who tends to sleep, I can see you, right? There's always this like, this kind of pretend relationship where it's like, I don't know that you're sleeping. I know you're sleeping, right? I get it. I, I have eyes. Especially those of you who are, are bold enough to not just kind of doze off and close your eyes, but you're like slouched over, right? Or making a heavy breathing noise. I can hear it too, okay? I can see it and hear it. I know you're sleeping, all right? Mystery solved. And for pastors and preachers, we love this story because we know we can be boring. We know we can be long-winded. We know people fall asleep, but I ain't never killed nobody in my preaching, right? (laughs) I mean, I know some of you sitting over by the window might get a little, you know, tired, but you're not going to fall out and die. That's never happened while I've been preaching. And so for me, I I love this story because it's kind of hilarious, right? This guy, Paul is so boring, he kills somebody in preaching. In fact, there are times, most preachers know this, where we might not be, you know, hitting it out of the park. Some of our messages are, are kind of somewhere in the middle or maybe not so good. And when I lay an egg preaching, it's not a very good message, right? A lot of times, it's therapeutic for me to read Acts chapter 20. I feel a lot better. My message may have been boring, but I didn't kill anybody. So it's therapy for me to read this. But we see as our story continues, this guy dies. And Paul, he decides, well, I've killed somebody. I probably should wrap up my last point and go figure out what happened. 
So he goes and runs downstairs and runs outside, and this person has died, and God miraculously raises this man, Eutychus, from the dead. And so we see throughout the course of the Bible, God is revealing progressively to his people there is hope after death, that God can raise the dead. He's revealing hope in the resurrection, that death is not the end. This is awesome, right? This is incredible. What incredible great news. God can raise the dead. We can celebrate this, can't we? Unfortunately, there's a problem. See, the problem is sometimes good things just don't last. You see, Elijah, he may have raised the widow's son from the dead, but that son died again. Jesus may have raised Lazarus from the dead, but Lazarus died again. Paul may have been there when God raised Eutychus from the dead, but Eutychus died again. See, sometimes good things, they just don't last. In all these resurrection examples, we get a glimmer of hope that perhaps there is something that we can look forward to, that perhaps death is not the end. Unfortunately, that hope was fleeting. It didn't last very long, did it? This would be the point where it would be very easy this morning to become hopeless. If there's a glimmer of hope that God can raise the dead, but those people die again, life would still be pretty hopeless, wouldn't it? See, there's one more story I didn't talk about. I've got one more story of a resurrection. Our story begins with a man named Jesus. You see, the scriptures reveal to us that this Jesus was God's own son. And that he lived the perfect, sinless life. That Jesus completely followed the law. And that after this Jesus lived the perfect life, he ended up being crucified like a criminal. That he went up on the cross and he was killed the most excruciating death you can possibly imagine. In fact, the word excruciating literally means from the cross. See, Jesus was beaten, and he was mocked, and he was spit on, he was scourged, he was nailed to the cross, and there he hung there gasping to try to take a a breath, and he died on the cross. And we'd say, why would Jesus, this perfect man, die on the cross? And this is why. Because according to God's word, you and I, have all broken God's commandments. You and I have all sinned. You might think, well, I'm not that bad of a person. Well, let me tell you, the scriptures reveal to us that if you break one law, one transgression, if you can't measure up to to one aspect of God's law, you're guilty of breaking the whole thing. And if you've broken God's law, the penalty for your sin is death. But see, here's where the good news comes in. Jesus Christ lived the perfect life that you could never live, and he died the death that you deserve so that you could have life everlasting. So this Jesus hung up on the cross for you and for me. And the holy wrath of God which you have stored up for yourself on the day of judgment, that wrath was poured out upon God's perfect, sinless Son, and He bore that wrath in our place. 
And after they took the body of Jesus, once he died, they placed it in a tomb, and there it remained for three days. And in that moment, it seemed as if all hope was lost. Hope is dead. But then it happened. On the third day, Jesus, this Jesus, he rose from the dead in victory. This Jesus overcame the grave. This Jesus defeated death itself. This Jesus conquered sin. When the forces of darkness thought that they had won the battle, Jesus proved to be the champion, and the angel shouted, He is not here. He is risen. This Jesus rose from the dead. And after his resurrection, he went and spoke to his disciples. He talked with them. He ate with them. They touched him. Then he talked to 500 people. People saw him. And then Jesus ascended into heaven, the scriptures say, and he took his place on the throne, seated at the right hand of his Father in glory. And in the very last chapter of the Bible, we have this incredible story, this guy named John. Very last book of the Bible. He is banished to an island called Patmos. And on that island, he has this heavenly vision on the Lord's day. And he's speaking to the resurrected Jesus Christ. And Jesus says something astonishing. And if I can just bring you together, this is so important for us to hear. Notice what Jesus says. He says, fear not. I am the first and the last and the living one. I died and behold... I am alive forevermore. I'm alive forevermore. You see, beloved, it's true. It's true. Sometimes good things just don't last. But the greatest thing that has ever happened, that will endure forever and ever and ever. Because when it comes to the resurrection of Jesus Christ, here is the truth, beloved. Hope is alive Jesus was raised from the dead, never to die again. This is not a fleeting thing. This is a forever thing. Jesus is alive. Hope is alive. Jesus Christ died, but behold, he is alive forevermore. This is the hope of the resurrection. This is what Easter is all about. And I don't know a lot of people in this room. I'll be honest. This is the first time I've seen many of you. I don't know what you're facing this morning. I don't know the hardships that you've endured. I don't know the struggles that you have. I don't know the challenges that you're trying to overcome. I don't know the sins of your past. I don't know your story. I don't know what brought you here today, but I can tell you one thing I know for sure. Jesus is offering you hope. He is offering all of us hope, and it's the hope of the resurrection that not only has he been raised from the dead to live forever and ever and ever, but he's offering hope for you to be raised from the dead spiritually and one day physically and to be alive forevermore. This is the hope of the resurrection. This is the beauty of Easter Sunday. Jesus is offering you new life, resurrection life, and it will never, ever end. You see, the, this morning the scriptures are declaring to you this good news. Hear this, beloved. It says in the book of Romans, chapter 10, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. This is the hope of the resurrection. It doesn't matter if you're at church or you try to be a good person. That will not save you. 
You cannot raise yourself from the dead to be experience life everlasting. You can't do it. We can't do it. But Jesus can do it. It's not about being good. It's not about following the rules. It's about confessing with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believing in your heart that God raised him from the dead. And if you do this, you will be saved. This is what the scriptures say. This is the eternal hope that we find in Christ. And I can assure you, this resurrection will never fade or spoil or perish. It will continue on forevermore. Beloved, this is the big idea. Hope is alive. Hope is alive this morning, so the question remains, what will you do about it? What will you do about it? Hope is alive. Jesus is calling. You hear that? Jesus is calling. He's talking to you. What are you going to do about it? Are you going to move on with life, pretending like this doesn't matter, like we're here, and this is one thing we do, and it doesn't? No. This is the truth of the resurrection. Hope is alive. What are you going to do about it? Will you believe? Will you trust in the Lord Jesus Christ and and receive salvation? Or will you continue on? Because through faith in Jesus Christ, I want you to know, he has made a way for you, beloved. There is hope, life after death, life everlasting. Let's pray. Father, this... This morning, as we gather here and as we come and hear from your word, Father, it would be so easy for this message to fall on deaf ears, for us to go about our business with family and friends today and move on as if this is just another day and something that we do. It's just a ritual or a routine. There's nothing to this. Father, this is the greatest news the world has ever heard, that there is hope for us in your son Jesus, that that hope is alive. And Father, I pray that you would work in hearts profoundly this morning. There's nothing that I can do to save people. There's nothing that I can do to, to change or transform transform a heart. But Father, you can do the work. And so I pray and ask this morning that your spirit would be at work in this place, transforming lives, convicting people concerning their sin, revealing to them this light of the glory of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That they would see the hope of this message, that hope is truly alive. they would trust in your son Jesus, that they would believe in their hearts, confess with their lips, believe that your son was raised from the dead and be saved. And so, Father, we pray and ask for you to do this work this morning for your glory and your glory alone. In the precious name of your risen son, Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen.